0: Jesus' ministry transformed many people's lives. And I love looking at the stories in the Gospels, reading through the scriptures of seeing Jesus interact with people. And he did amazing things. People were healed. Uh, People that never walked, they walked. People that never saw, they saw. People that were outcast and Thro- no, not a part of the world or re- the religious system of the day were loved by Jesus. And they, many of them, loved Jesus. The prostitutes loved Jesus. The people who had been divorced many times were loved by Jesus. The murderers and the thieves, they were all loved by Jesus. And many of them loved Jesus and followed Jesus. And as they followed Jesus, their life was transformed. They were transformed because they were walking with Jesus. They were being with Jesus. They were being loved by somebody like they've never been loved before. They were fully known and at the same time fully loved. And that is incredibly special. That is truly transformational. And it's not just helping somebody become a better person. This is Completely transformed into something new this isn't just Overcoming bad habits and learning how to think differently. This is God transforming your life into something completely different something brand new and Jesus's desire was for the whole world to be transformed like this every single person and he thought it was his best chance for that to happen by investing a large amount of time in a small group of people, his disciples. The disciples that he just showed up to and, and said, hey, come follow me. Leave your fishing business and come and follow me. Leave your tax collecting job and come and follow me. And and they did. And they had a firsthand relationship with Jesus like nobody else. They, they got to follow him around and see him do all these incredible miracles. They got to... Uh, see him touch countless lives and at the end of a long day they got to sit with jesus by a fire and jesus would explain to them over and over again more fully of what they had just experienced what this all meant again and again and those disciples believed that they were following the messiah the promised one of god who was going to save their people and rescue the whole world which was going to be pretty good for them, right? They get to be the right-hand people to the king of the universe. That's awesome. But then Jesus started to talk about his death. And the disciples didn't know what to do with that. Because a leader can't accomplish what he set out to accomplish if he's dead and and throughout history no movement has continued when the leader of that movement dies and plus (laughs) if Jesus was half of what he claimed to be and Jesus was going to die that meant God was going to die and it is a bad day when the all-powerful all-knowing all-present creator God of the universe dies the disciples said this cannot be this can't be but events started to happen that were leading to this inevitable conclusion that this death was coming And so, what did the disciples do? Well, Judas, one of Jesus' closest followers, who was entrusted with the responsibility to take care and administer the money, he traded, betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And Peter, who walked on water and proclaimed boldly that he loved Jesus and was going to follow Jesus, he, in those last moments, denied that he even knew Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times before the end of the day. Andrew was nowhere to be found. The the Roman soldiers had to pull a random guy out of the crowd to carry Jesus' cross because where were Jesus' friends? Bartholomew and James, they stood at a distance while the Roman soldiers pierced Jesus' side and watched him breathe his last breath. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were taken with Peter by Jesus into the garden to pray the stressful, like terrible last moments. And what did they do? They fell asleep when Jesus needed them the most. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Matthew, they deserted Jesus. Simon the zealot and Philip, they fled away when they came to arrest Jesus and Thomas He was was missing. Those were the 12. Jesus' closest friends, Jesus' closest followers. There's also other disciples that was in Jesus' life. One of them was a young guy, and we read about him in the Gospel of Mark, so many Bible scholars think he was Mark, that when Jesus was arrested, the mob came, and Mark, this young boy, slipped away, and they grabbed his shirt, and he, he, he left his shirt behind and ran away naked. There was a man named Joseph who took Jesus' body from the cross and put it in a tomb. <clears throat> there were two disciples walking on the road to Emmaus, and they had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, but the Messiah was dead, so he obviously was not the Messiah. There was Nicodemus who buried Jesus' body and wrapped it up. And really the only followers of Jesus that were anywhere near Jesus at the time of Jesus' death were Jesus' mother, John, and the other women from Galilee. And what were they doing? They were preparing Jesus' body for a burial. If you'd like, you could turn with me to Luke chapter 23 where we can read some of this story from the scriptures. And really, this book of Luke is amazing because he did his research. In the first century, he went around and read everything that he could possibly find about what happened in Jesus' lifetime, and he wrote it down. So don't think of this as a Bible book. Think of this as an ancient document from 2,000 years ago of somebody who was there, first-hand account, and did his research of what happened. In this time and so Luke 23 starting in verse 44 says this by this time it was about noon and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock the light from the Sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle then Jesus shouted father I entrust my spirit into your hands and with those words he breathed his last and when the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened he worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus's friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. And now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. And he went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. And this was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin." And as his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun, and so they rested as required by the law. It was the Sabbath day. It was Saturday. And I'm asking you today, what is your Saturday? What is your Saturday? Metaphorically speaking, obviously it's the day between Friday and Sunday, I know. Metaphorically, what is your Saturday? Saturday is that hopelessness that you feel. It's watching your friend who you believe to be the savior of the world Die a criminal's death. Your Saturday is denial. It's it's Peter telling everybody that there's no way I'm following Jesus. Saturday is doubt. It's Thomas saying there's no way that this could ever happen. Saturday is being ashamed. It's running away naked. Saturday is being confused. The ladies who were there, the closest ones, they went home to prepare for a burial. Saturday is betrayal. It's trading following Jesus for something that we think is better and that will satisfy us. Saturday is sleepy. Rather than standing with Jesus, you just don't have the energy. It's being offended when somebody in love tries to help you, but you perceive it as judgment. It's trial. It's, it's walking into the city to great victors, victory, and the next day it's being attacked by everyone. It's fear. It's like they're coming after me next. Saturday's worry. What what if I've been wrong? What if this God that I follow and believe in doesn't come through for me? Saturday is disappointment. I believe God was going to do this, and then it didn't happen what is your saturday when was a time in your life that you felt these things and what was happening during that time maybe you're feeling some of these things right now and right now you're in the middle of a saturday season that is not a rhetorical question i want you to actually come up with an answer because I'm going to invite you to stand up in just a minute and head down over to, there's a table down here and a table in the middle with some Sharpies and I want you to write down what you're thinking about. So you gotta take all those random thoughts about lunch later this week and, you know, dinner time and all that stuff and come up with a word or two Maybe it's a name and maybe you don't want to write the name down. Maybe you got to write somebody else's name down as a, you know, a fake thing. Or maybe you got to draw a picture, something that's meaningful to you that represents your Saturday. And I'm telling you that you have to embrace Saturday. Embrace it. Because we've all got those moments. You've all got those seasons, you've all got that memory, you've all got that time, and what do you do with it? You want to run away from it, you want to forget about it, you want to leave it behind in the past and, you know, it's fine, it's whatever, or can you embrace Saturday? And so like I said, in just a second, I'm going to ask you all to stand up, and you can form a line or however you want to do it, it's kind of going to be an informal thing. And I want you to come down and and grab, there's one in the middle and one over here, grab the uh, sharpie and write down your answer. You'll see on the calendar that every day of this month is a Saturday (laughs) because we're embracing Saturday. Just pick one of these boxes and write your answer on there. This is also a good time If you've not given your grace form offering yet, to give that offering. In the offering box, you can just go on there or go online and give it as well. Because we want to give, this is kind of the whole point of the series, we want to give in the middle of our Saturday. We want to worship God in the middle of whatever it is that we are facing. We don't need to wait For God to come through for us in some amazing way and then we'll worship God. We don't need to feel like we are blessed by God before we know and believe that we are blessed already. We can give. We can worship God in the middle of whatever we're facing right now. And that's why I say we can embrace Saturday. We can embrace Saturday. We can give in the middle of our darkness, of our isolation, of our struggle. And so, I invite you now to stand up. Who? someone got to be the first person to come down and do it. And uh, we're all going to do it. And just come up with something simple to do. Nothing special going on. And before you sit down, just tell somebody. Tell somebody what you wrote down. There is grace for you for everything that we've went through that you can make it through whatever your Saturday is. And this isn't just a motivational message. It's not a feel good you'll get through it. This is a reality that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is alive. Yes. He is risen. This is news. It's not, it's not even a belief. It is news from an angel that Jesus is alive. And we know how this ends. That's why we can embrace Saturday, because we know what's coming. We know Sunday is right around the corner. Embracing Saturday without knowing that Sunday is coming is like kumbaya, it's like, we can all get through this together. Life is hard. Yeah, but if we stick together and love each other, it'll be okay. This is news, good news that Jesus Is alive, that there is hope no matter what you're facing, that there is joy in the middle of whatever circumstance you're finding yourself in. There is resurrection in whatever is dead in your life because Jesus is alive. Amen. Yes. Somebody give God some praise this morning. He is alive. He is alive. So, whatever. Saturday, you wrote down. I want you to see yourself here now, okay? It's Sunday. The, the ladies, they come to the tomb, and they stood there puzzled. They're still in their Saturday season. They're figuring out what, what, what is happening, right? Nobody's ever seen a resurrection before. What is happening? They stood there puzzled. And the two men suddenly appeared to them clothed in dazzling robes. And the women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. This is the news that changes everything for you and for the entire world. And then we read about this awesome detail we read that then some of the other guys started coming it was the ladies first and then the guys and so Peter and the other disciple that's how John refers to himself in the gospel it's kind of weird he started out for the tomb and they were both running but the other disciple meaning John the guy who was writing this he outran Peter and reached the tomb first and he stooped and looked in and saw the linens wrapping there lying there but he didn't go in Did you wonder who won the foot race to the tomb to see if it was really empty? Who cares, right? It don't matter. This is an irrelevant detail to the story. Jesus is alive. Why is this in the scriptures? They thought it would be a cool detail. John's like, let me put this in here. I want to tell the whole world that I beat Peter to the tomb for all eternity. Just a little bragging rights, right? Why is this in the Bible? Anyone know? I'll give you a hint. Because it actually happened. Why else include it, right? Just a random detail. And look as time went on, right? For until then, they hadn't understood the scriptures that said, Jesus must rise from the dead. They didn't understand. Like, this was all new to them. This was all surprising to them. They were still in their Saturday moment, and they went home. But then Jesus appeared to them, and began, they began to understand more fully that they should have gotten it all along. And from that moment forward, the life for the disciples was completely different. They were made new. They were transformed by the grace of God. And not by their own doing. God is the one who did it. So that he died so that they could live. And so that they can now tell the entire world about the hope that they had. Because of the news of what Jesus had done. And so this was exactly what happened. The disciples who laid their savior to rest along with their hopes and dreams, and any semblance of believing that what they were doing for the last three years following this Jesus around was actually worthwhile, those people, their life was completely changed by the news of the resurrection. Peter, who denied that he even knew Jesus, preached boldly on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people believed the message. Peter preached the gospel throughout the rest of his life into Turkey and Italy and he was crucified by Nero, one of the emperors in Rome with his head downward. Then there was Andrew he was with the other disciples who were continually in the temple praising God he became a missionary to the country of Georgia and Bulgaria and he was crucified. Bartholomew went back to Jerusalem with great joy which meant that he was staring death right in the face, going back to the place where his leader was killed. And he became a missionary to India, and he was also crucified upside down in Georgia. James, the son of Zebedee, he was preaching in Judea, and he was killed by Herod. This is in the scriptures in Acts chapter 12, verse 2. And most of these other things, as we look at the other disciples, are what's called church tradition. They're not necessarily in the scriptures, but they've been passed down throughout history and other historical documents that we can find about these guys. But James is found in uh, the scriptures. John, the son of Zebedee, was banished by Domitian, the king, to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation, which is in the Bible. And tradition says that he died of old age in Ephesus. James, the son of Alphaeus, was preaching in Jerusalem, and he was stoned to death by the Jews and was buried alongside the temple. Thaddeus was a missionary to the Mesopotamian region, which is Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Iran, and he died of old age. Matthew, who wrote the Gospel of Matthew, he died in a town in Iran. Simon the Zealot was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. He died of old age. Philip was a missionary to Turkey. He was martyred. Or crucified upside down in Turkey and Thomas became a missionary to Iran Afghanistan and died in India remember that naked little boy the naked young man that ran away when Jesus was arrested that guy went on to write the gospel of Mark in the Bible today those were the 12 and one additional interesting fact and then You've got one more, Judas, who to me is a reminder of how hard it is to get through the Saturday phase, the chrysalis phase, and a reminder that not everyone makes it. And so we need to know, you need to know that Sunday is coming, that the resurrection has happened in the past that we are on the other side of this history transforming event and we can embrace Saturday knowing that Sunday has already happened don't lose it in the middle of the hard time like Judas did he didn't have the the benefit of seeing Sunday happen but we've seen it. So don't be afraid to enter into your Saturday. Don't get stuck in your Saturday either, though, but get everything that God wants to give you in this season, and know that because of Jesus' resurrection, transformation is promised to you on the other side, and so that is why we can embrace Saturday. Would you pray with me? God, We thank you that you love us. We thank you that we serve a risen Lord and Savior, a risen God, a God who is alive. And Lord, as as we think about how you died for me, you died for us. There was a moment, there was a day, there was a hours on this planet where the God of the universe was dead. And yet somehow, some way, we could look forward, they could look forward, and they made it to the next day. They made it to Sunday, most of them did. And everything was different. It was the beginning of a completely transformed, made new life. And so God, I pray for each one of us today. That if we find ourselves in a Saturday season now, or as we look back onto those difficult, isolated, dark times of our life. That we would see that you are transforming our life that you are refining us and perfecting us and working in our life in a powerful way that you just can't do in any other season. And we know this, like we know it as a fact, as a historical fact, that you rose from the dead. This isn't some feel-good thing. It's not just believe it and it happens. It's, this is a reality, that you rose again from the dead and my life is different because of that. So, Lord, help that to be true in our life today. Help us to worship you now, no matter what, because you are alive for us. In Jesus' name.